From the newsrooms of the City Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Chris Sapone. It's Thursday, November 10th. Good afternoon. Yes, we are still here. We're coming on the air at this hour with news about America's pivotal midterm elections. Results still coming in almost 24 hours later. Control of the House. In the lead up to the U.S. midterm elections, a torrent of polls suggested voters would punish Joe Biden's party in favor of the Republicans amid rising worries about inflation and the state of the economy. And in our final pre-election poll conducted over the last three days, Republicans do appear to have the momentum. Just how big is But on Tuesday, the expected red wave failed to materialize. While much is still up in the air, one thing is clear. Democrats outperformed expectations and Republicans did not see the red wave they predicted. Well, the main takeaway is that there was a red wave last night, but it started in Florida and it ended in Florida. That's really all we got. While votes are still being counted and Republicans could still win Congress, the GOP will likely have the narrowest of a majority, if at all, in the Senate. Today, on Please Explain, North America correspondent Farah Thomason helps us understand the surprising U.S. midterm results and what they mean for Trump and the future of the Republican Party. Farah, going into these midterm elections, what did people expect would happen? I think what people expected is exactly what the polls have been showing for quite a few weeks, and that is that the Democrats were going to struggle to hold on to their congressional majority. To provide some context, Chris, I think right now in America, inflation has hit 40-year highs. The price of everything has pretty much gone up. Homicide rates are at their highest levels since, what, the 1990s. It's a bit of an immigration crisis with all these people legally crossing the US-Mexico border. This was the sort of backdrop that Joe Biden and the Democrats were walking into Add to this the fact that history isn't particularly kind to first-term presidents when it comes to midterm elections. And I guess it was widely thought that the Democrats were going to lose and lose pretty big. The Republicans only needed to pick up five extra seats to take back control of the House of Representatives, and they only needed one extra seat to get back control of the Senate. So it was assumed that there would be a big red Republican wave, but in the end, that didn't materialise. So... The results are still coming in and they're still being firmed up. But what do we know so far? We know so far that the Dems did a lot better than expected. Um, As it stands, Republicans do remain on track to win back the House. I think at last check, they had, I think, 207 seats. The Democrats had 183 and you need to get to 218 to win the House. Uh, While control of the Senate hinges on three key states, Arizona, Nevada and Georgia, And George is going to go into a runoff election, which is basically a rematch between the two candidates. And those candidates are the incumbent Democrat, Raphael Warnock, who's a pastor at uh, one of Atlanta's biggest churches, and Herschel Walker, who's a massive uh, former college football star in Georgia. The Democrats were able to snatch the seat of Pennsylvania from the Republicans, though, and that was a really big win. That was a seat being vacated by uh, Pat Toomey. And in that particular seat, a bloke by the name of John Fetterman, who's a progressive Democrat, readers might recall he suffered a stroke recently, Uh, he beat Trump-backed celebrity doctor Mehmet Oz, who's better known in this country as Dr Oz. The Democrats had also hoped to win Ohio, but that uh, hope was dashed by uh, another Trump-backed candidate, J.D. Vance. And in Wisconsin, uh, that was another big gain for the Republicans. Ron Johnson is a senator there. He was viewed as the most vulnerable Republican Senate incumbent, but he ended up winning his seat. The biggest victory of the night, however, was I think at the state level, not the federal level, but where Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is a former disciple of Donald Trump, but has now turned into one of his biggest rivals, 
uh, cruised to victory in the governor's race in the state of Florida and really cemented his power and his influence in the Republican power in a state that was once a Democrat-Republican battleground. We'll talk about DeSantis and Trump in just a minute. I wanted to ask you first, though, what do you think accounts for this difference in performance between the Democrats and the Republicans? I mean, what were the issues at play that were driving voters' behavior? I think, firstly, there were quite likely to be people who didn't necessarily approve of Joe Biden's performance who were willing to cast a vote for the Democrats. I think that's why it, it appeared that there was going to be a big red wave and that uh, that didn't actually materialise. I mean, Biden wasn't on the ballot himself, but, you know, when they looked at what the other side uh, was presenting, whether it be in the form of Trump's so-called Make America Great Again wing of the Republican Party, whether it be the hundreds of people who were seeking office um, who subscribed to his view that the 2020 election was rigged and, and some of them weren't even willing to guarantee that they would accept the results of their own races, or whether it be the simple fact that there was no sort of real alternative being offered by the Republicans to the problems they kept highlighting. I mean, one particular conservative pollster, Lee Carter, was talking the other day about the fact that independent voters have been telling her for months that Republicans complain more than they actually answered questions about what they would do when it came to tackling inflation or cost of living pressures or you know dealing with the southern border. That could have had something to do with it. Um, another Republican pollster I spoke to today acknowledged that the messaging, in his words, went a little too far and that it was a mistake for some of these candidates to keep trying to kind of lean into this stolen election narrative uh, from 2020. I mean, his words were, voters want to look forward, not back. And the other thing I think was candidate quality. I mean, that that does matter. Pennsylvania, he, he mentioned to me, was um, a place where a far-right bloke called Doug Mastriano was running in the race for governor. He ultimately lost and he was uh, seen as quite a weak character. He couldn't sort of fundraise particularly well and he was obviously a hardcore extremist. This particular pollster was telling me that they believe that Mastriano dragged down Oz who was really trying to present himself to working class voters in Pennsylvania as more of a moderate. And the other thing that I personally think was a real factor was the issue of abortion. Um, and this was something that I kept hearing on the on the campaign trial for women. I don't think we can really underestimate how much of an impact the Supreme Court decision to overturn the constitutional right to an abortion in America really sort of jolted the social and political fabric of this country. And for many women, it wasn't just a pro-life versus pro-choice thing. And, and I shouldn't just say women because it was it affected men as well, but it was about sort of freedom and bodily autonomy and, and perhaps, you know, having a bunch of politicians, particularly conservative male politicians, telling you that you can't sort of terminate your pregnancy even in the case of rape or incest might have just been a bridge too far for some voters. So, I mean, is this an example of where there's this criticism that the Republicans are no longer a party of governance, they're more a party of, of grievance? And so when they presented themselves against the Democrats, they didn't they weren't really proposing anything else other than to criticize the Democrats. Is that right? It seemed to be to some extent. I mean, that is the I suppose the lot of opposition parties, isn't it, that, that, that you tend to complain more than you present alternatives or attack more than you should you present alternatives, I should say. So there seemed to be that that concern that uh, that there wasn't enough on the offering and, and that Joe Biden was indeed at least trying to offer uh, alternatives in the form of whether it be the Inflation Reduction Act or climate change bills or social security measures and, and childcare policies. So given all of this, do you think the US is actually moving towards a 
post-Trump Republican landscape? I mean, do you think that this in some way signals the end of, of Trumpism or the Trump era? Uh, look, I think, you know, the signs from last night were encouraging in the sense that some of the, you know, the doomsday scenarios about political violence and uh, poll watchers intimidating people as they cast their ballots didn't play out as much as expected. But, you know, this is a, a country where Donald Trump, love him or loathe him, really does have an extraordinary hold over the base of the Republican Party. I think statistics have shown that there's about 40 or so percent of Republicans who are diehard Trump fans and would happily do pretty much anything that he asked. Uh, whether that support fractures, I don't know. I'd be very surprised. And again, I don't see any signs of him changing his plans for a run in 2024. As we know, he's been teasing all year that he's going to seek the Republican nomination again. And the endorsements that he's, he's made have been all about, I guess, laying the foundation to do exactly that. The other day at a pre-election rally in Ohio, he made the point that he would make a, quote, very big announcement at his Mar-a-Lago estate. Uh, today, he gave a interview to Fox News saying that he was celebrating the wins of the more than, I think, 200 or so people he endorsed who were able to claim victory in the midterm election races. He was even sending out emails, I got one myself, asking people to donate to him, as he often does. The complicating factor, of course, all this for Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis, who, as I mentioned earlier, was a is really popular with the base and is now an even greater threat to Donald Trump than he was previously. DeSantis, for our listeners who don't necessarily know him too well, is a bit of a culture wars warrior within the right. Uh, he resisted vaccine mandates. He he basically kept schools open, even as coronavirus sword in Florida. He battled Disney over Florida's sort of don't say gay laws. He most recently sent a bunch of migrants to Martha's Vineyard to antagonise Joe Biden over immigration policy. He sort of buried the hatchet a bit and played nice in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, but his whole sort of, you know, modus operandi is to, quote, own the libs. Uh, he's basically Trump light, uh, not as extreme, um, that is, but his, his victory on Tuesday could potentially put a dent in Donald Trump's plans and the future of Trump. Uh, but I think Trumpism as a brand, as an ideology, is something else altogether. And finally, this has been a huge upset for the Republicans and a very pleasant surprise for the Democrats. What does this mean for the Biden presidency and for any mandate that he has? Well, it's interesting. Biden did just have a press conference at the White House earlier today. Well, we had an election yesterday. And... Uh, it was a good day, I think, for democracy. And, I think it was a good and it's fair to say he was feeling quite vindicated. While we don't know all the results yet, at least I don't know them all yet, uh, here's what we do know. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And I know he acknowledged, of course, that he could lose his majority in Congress and that this would make it harder for him, obviously, to deliver on his first-term agenda. Um, but the voters... We're also clear that they are still frustrated. I get it. I understand it's been a really tough few years in this country for so many people. Well, I came to office. It could also lead to a series of inquiries against him by the Republicans. If indeed Kevin McCarthy takes over as Speaker of the House from Nancy Pelosi, they've made no secret of their desire to impeach Joe Biden's son Hunter for alleged dodgy financial deals or to look into the Justice Department over the raid into Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. For now, though, I mean, Biden's got a bit of a spring in his step. And I especially want to thank the young people of this nation 
who I'm told, I haven't seen the numbers, uh, voted historic numbers again, and uh, just as they did two years ago. And they voted to continue. He characterised the midterms as a victory for democracy. He vowed to work with Republicans if they take back control of Congress. And he said Americans had made it clear that they don't want a constant political battle in this country. And let me say this. Regardless, regardless of what the final tally in these elections show, and there's still some counting going on, I'm prepared to work with my Republican colleagues. The American people have made clear, I think, that they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with me as well. As for his future, today he said he intended to run for the presidential election in 2024, regardless of whether Donald Trump or anyone else enters the race. And despite the fact that he's turning 80, he still uh, he still intends to do so. Um, he, he did uh, preface that by saying that he it's a family decision and he'll talk to his wife and kids and grandkids about that. And he's a great respecter of faith, as he says. Uh, but we will know in due course, but that's certainly his intention to have another tilt to the presidency. Very interesting times for American politics. Farah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Chi Wong with production assistance from Cormac Lally. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the City Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Chris Sapone. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.